Well, this morning is the first Sunday of Advent, and we begin a new series. Uh, Our church secretary has given us a new logo for this series. We are thankful for Robin Douglas. She created this, put this together for us. And so for the next four weeks that we're together, plus Christmas Eve being number five, our fifth gathering, we are looking at how the King has come. The King promised in the Old Testament has come in the person and in the work of Jesus. And so I hope to reveal different signs and wonders and promises that will turn your hearts and your attention heavenward in Christ Jesus, that you would see again and anew why we celebrate the coming of our King, the Lord Jesus, and how He was the fulfillment of all of God's promises for redemption. And so this morning, Uh, Our text is in John chapter 2. We've been in John in a few different places recently, but this morning we go to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And the context for this unveiling of the King, which is what John is giving us, John is revealing and unveiling this King promised in the Old Testament. The context this morning is a first century wedding. A first century wedding. (laughs) That sounded funny with the mask on. A first century wedding is the context for our sermon. Some of you have had weddings recently. Many of you have had weddings in your life and attended many weddings yourselves. That's the context. But things here are a little bit different. You need to know that, that a wedding celebration for us is several hours long. In the first century, in the Jewish culture, it might be several days long. People would walk great distances to attend a wedding, and there was no saying goodbye after a few hours and going home. They would reside and live and be among the wedding party and family and guests because they took a long walk. They would spend their time before they took a long walk back. And that's the context of our reading. So give your attention to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests 
have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Let's pray that God would bless his word. Father, would you help us to believe in this person and work of Jesus? Would you open our eyes, our ears, and especially our hearts that we would see and know and believe that the King has come? Now may his will be done. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it has taught us, and we will forever remember, the preoccupation of hand-washing and of mask-wearing. The preoccupation of wherever you are, whenever you're around people, to be distanced supposedly at least six feet or more. These things are supposed to be front and center on our minds, right? And anywhere you go and everyone you see becomes a reminder of the COVID-19 problem because in their face that you can't see, you're reminded that we all have a common problem we're seeking to avoid. But how many times have you gone to Walmart or Lowe's, as I have, gotten out of your car, walked across the parking lot, gotten to the door, and then remembered, I forgot my mask in my car. Even though I passed all these people with masks on, it's easy to forget. It's very easy to forget that there is this common problem around us all. It's a problem of a pandemic. Well, these Jewish people well understood the washing of hands, the preoccupation with cleanliness issues. And that is at the very heart of our passage this morning. And just as we forget, even though the reminders are all around us, so they would forget that they had a washing problem, a cleansing problem, that they were supposed to constantly be reminded of. We have four points from our sermon this morning. They are, again, simple, but I hope that they're helpful. And the first is this. It's the point of the washing with water. That ceremonial cleansing was a constant in everyday Jewish life. You understand that these people were given in the Old Testament, and in addition to Scripture, they added to a detailed prescription for washings. And those details of washings were to be followed meticulously, very carefully, very seriously. The Jewish home would have access to water and to water pots. They were to wash hands, bodies, utensils, cups, kettles, pitchers, Anything that represented what would go into a person, they were to wash and treat with great care. And so at the heart of our passage this morning is this preoccupation with cleansing. And it was a constant in their everyday life. And that was supposed to be a constant reminder to them 
that they had a cleanliness problem spiritually. That they were sinners and that God was holy. That's what that entire cleansing ritual is all about. To be constantly reminded that I am guilty, I am unclean, I am a sinner, and that God is holy. And no one can come into His presence unless they've been rightly washed. And so the same is true for us. We have a sin washer. And we have a sign of that washing in baptism, don't we? The use of water to show cleansing. That baptism with water itself doesn't cleanse, but the person in the work, the true sin washer, does. And here in our passage, the sin washer would reveal himself. The context is the prevention of a social embarrassment, which is really a strange context for this. It's it's remarkable that Jesus would use this setting for such a significant revelation of himself to humanity, but that's exactly what he did. He is at this wedding. We don't know how many people have come, but it sure sounds like it's a significant wedding. And the social embarrassment that we are on the brink of is they're about to run out of wine at the wedding. And that would be a significant social embarrassment for the bride, for the bridegroom, and for the master of the banquet, the master of ceremonies who had ultimate responsibility for the party that was thrown. Mary goes to Jesus and asks for help. And commentators suggest that this must mean that Mary had some responsibilities of catering this event. Have you ever heard her called Mary the caterer? Well, apparently you could. She has taken on, just like some of you women in the church when there are parties or receptions, she's taken on some responsibility for what's going on behind the scenes. And she's aware that they've run out of wine. The wine is almost gone. Why is the wine always gone? It sounds like Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. Why is the rum always gone? Well, at this party, the wine is gone or nearly gone. Some commentators have said that this was such a social faux pas that there's actually evidence of people suing, suing each other over incidents like this in Jewish culture. It was considered a grave mistake, a grave embarrassment. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to Jesus and asks him to do something about this embarrassment before it's an embarrassment. Now, some of you just through Thanksgiving dinner, you hosted big parties in your home, loved ones and not-so-loved ones gathering around your table. And somewhere in the back of your mind was the fear of, will there be enough turkey? Will this be enough turkey? Will this be enough dessert? Will this be enough casserole? Right? The great fear being, will it be a good party? Or when our guests get in their cars and drive home, what are they going to say? Right? Social embarrassment. Years ago, my little boys had some friends over. I don't think it was a birthday party. It may have been. I think it was just a, a Friday evening gathering. And some of you have heard me tell this story before. Uh, 
But we had these two boys over to spend the night. And we said, why don't you come over? We're gonna, you can play soccer for a couple of hours, and then we're going to have a pizza party. And so the two guests came over excitedly. I think, I think the one I'm going to reference was about seven years old. Maybe he was eight years old. They were playing soccer outside. It was time for the pizza dinner. I had taken the pizzas out of the freezer. I had put them in the oven, and they were now cooked. And we called those four boys in for the pizza dinner. And the seven-year-old guest came in and looked at the pizza and saw that it had been a frozen pizza. And he had assumed it would be ordered from Papa John's, Pizza Hut, wherever. And he was seven years old, right? right? He looked at the frozen pizza and he looked at me. Now, I like to host people. I like to throw parties. We enjoy hospitality. But this seven-year-old looked at the pizza, he looked at me, he looked at the pizza, he looked at me, and then he said, quote, frozen pizza? Y'all's cheap. I was crushed. As the host of the party, I couldn't satisfy a seven-year-old. A social embarrassment I care to this day. His words pierced my soul It was years ago, and I still quote him. Y'all's cheap. Those are the words that no host ever wants to hear. And those words and the stigma of them are exactly what's happening in this passage. Mary has come to Jesus because she is concerned that the bride, the bridegroom, And the master of ceremonies, that when they run out of wine, the people are going to start bumping into each other and saying, they're cheap. They ran out. They weren't prepared. They didn't anticipate. It seems like a small thing, yet that is the context of what's happening here. So Mary goes to Jesus, and somehow, someway, she knows Well, Jesus can do something about this. We don't know what she's seen Jesus do. This is considered the first public sign that Jesus did. But Mary had an inclination that Jesus could do something about this problem. And Jesus says to her, very interestingly, Woman, why do you come to me? Don't you know my hour has not yet come? Now, when we hear that, we probably read it with a little English oomph to it that's not originally there. Kind of like, woman, why are you coming to me? It's not like that. It's actually respectful. Just as Jesus would say to his mother, uh, say to the woman from the cross, take care of this woman. It's compassionate and it's caring. And he seems to say no to mama. But Mama always gets her way. And we know this. And so though Jesus appears that He won't do anything about it, why have you come to me? It's not yet my hour. But Jesus will meet Mama's expectations. And here's where the story gets very interesting. The offering of a sign. Jesus uses this incident 
to demonstrate who He was. He used it as an opportunity to show a paradigm shift that everything they knew about Jewish washing rituals is about to be turned upside down. Everything they knew and valued, He was about to redefine in this context. So nearby, there are six stone water jars. The text says the kind used for ceremonial cleansing. The washing of hands, of bodies, of pots, of kettles, of utensils. And he says, fill them to the brim. Fill them to the top. They're empty. Fill them up. Now, is this not the nature of the God who has revealed Himself in Old Testament and New? Filled to the brim with goodness and mercy and generous abundance. And that's exactly what He does. And these pots, it says that they hold 20 to 30 gallons each. You need to picture that pot. This is a significant pot. There's six of them. This is 120 to 150 liquid gallons. It must be a big party with a lot of people. Or there's an overabundance of wine. One. They then dip out of that pot what had been water and that Jesus turns into wine. And they take some to the master of the banquet who seems to be oblivious to what's really going on. And he tastes that wine that was once water. And he says, this is the choice wine. This is the best of wine. And you served it last rather than first, which was the opposite of the expectation. Now, let me say, because I think it's important to say, some of you instinctively think or assume or have heard that surely this just must be non-alcoholic wine. There is no indication of that whatsoever. I had a quote I was going to ring, I was going to read, but it was just over the top. <laughs> Making the point that this is choice wine. This is the best of wine. It made an impression on the master of the banquet. There's every reason to believe that this is the good stuff, the best of stuff. And even that alone right there turns our expectations for some upside down. But that wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus would have something to do with wine. Well, not only does this passage say so. Countless passages, Old Testament and New show that there is a right use and a God-honoring use of all of His gifts. There is certainly abuse and misuse of God's good gifts. The sinful heart can misuse and abuse everything. But what we have here is Jesus raising the standard of this party. Jesus just made the party better. Jesus just showed that there is reason to celebrate. And the truth is, for Christians, uh, partying and celebrating is usually not our strength to our disappointment. 
If anybody in this life should know what it is to celebrate and celebrate well, should it not be us? And yet our parties tend to not be very enjoyable parties. I remember as a student at Clemson University being invited to parties with different ministries. And I won't name them because I used to work for one, but... Um, <laughs> You know, if, if you went to the, to the party, to the Christian party, you could count on there being the people whose names started with A through L brought duplex creams. You know those little cookies, also known as the worst cookie in the world. Right? And it would be Czech Cola, the cheapest of all sodas, because that's all we're college students, that's all we can have. Not a very good party. And Jesus here says that abundance of the best stuff is worthy of a party that celebrates Him. Maybe we need to throw better parties. Maybe we've been cheap with our parties. But Jesus says there is reason to celebrate. And the reason to celebrate is Him. He says it's time to celebrate or it's time to party. And in this sense, you know, you could call it, or I've called it, big party Jesus. No little party Jesus. This is big party Jesus. He raises the standard. He blesses the party. He makes it all better because he centers it around himself. Now, how does he do that? He does it through the sign of abundant wine and repurposed pots. And this is the point of the story. Those ceremonial jars, which were pivotal, critical to Jewish everyday life, Jesus repurposes those pots. What they have existed for with this preoccupation of washing and cleansing, Jesus now puts water in them, turns it to wine, and in doing so, demonstrates that you no longer need these clay pots that were so central to your life, that gave the image of washing of sin. Now the sin washer himself is here. You don't need the ceremony. You have the man. You have the washer. You think about that paradigm shift that just took place. Day after day after day of washing, washing, cleansing, cleansing. And now Jesus redefines and repurposes those pots. And in putting wine in them, basically contaminates them from their understood purpose. That they're not just water pots, they're now celebration pots. It's a beautiful announcement that the King has come. Everything the Old Testament prepared us for, He now begins to unveil Himself and say, I'm here. The King has come. But the way that He does it never meets the people's expectations. He always has to redefine their expectations and ours. Because we have expectations of Jesus that He has not met and He will refuse to meet because He's Jesus. He will perfectly fulfill the expectations as they should be fulfilled, not as we expect Him to. In this act, Jesus makes these pots that were so central obsolete. 
They're no longer useful for what they had been used for. Now, you know what this looks like. At our Thanksgiving meal, my daughter came with a box, a cardboard box. She had been to see her grandparents, my wife's parents. They had cleaned out a closet and filled a cardboard box with all of their old phones and chargers and extension cords. Everything for big honking phones. Used to be this big that you used indoors. You remember this? And, and she brought it and said, these are from mom's parents. And it was a box of what? Obsolete hardware. Not useful for anything but taking up space. When something becomes obsolete, you have no use for it. Jesus has made the ceremonial cleansing pots obsolete. One day, years from now, we will look at bottles of hand sanitizer and masks and we'll think there's no need for that anymore. That critical need that was so central to our everyday life. We don't have to wear the masks anymore. I hope that day's coming. I don't know. That's no prophetic word from the Lord. But surely one day... We'll laugh about, yeah, we wore masks all the time we had to. And they're obsolete. They're not needed anymore. That's what Jesus has done. The question the passage drives is this. Do you know that you have a righteousness problem? A cleanliness problem? Do you know that no amount of living right that no amount of washing your hands can deal with the guilt of a sinner's heart? And do you know that there is a sin washer who alone can do something with the guilt of your heart, the guilt of your hands? That's what this passage is all about. Stop trying to cleanse yourself through ceremony, tradition, hard work, or whatever it is. Know that Jesus has walked on the scene and He says, the sin washer has come. And the sign of it is the abundance of wine. The bigger party that is rightly centered on the celebration of Jesus. The Old Testament prepared us for this moment. We just never saw it coming. Surely they never saw it coming. Amos chapter 9, verse 13. One of our prophets said this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all of the hills. That's a picture of abundance. Elsewhere it says we'll have so much wine we can wash our clothes in it. Isaiah 25, the same prophet we heard about in the children's sermon this morning for the lighting of the Advent candle. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the good stuff, the best of meats, the finest of wines. All that is to say, when Messiah comes, He'll bring abundant life. He'll be generous. He will fill it to the brim with goodness, with mercy.
The king has come. That's what John chapter 2 is announcing in its own way. The king has come. What Amos said has come. What Isaiah promised has come. And it's Advent for the next four weeks. And at GPC, we are celebrating that that king has come. As one of our hymns says, He brings the poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. That's the nature of the God we worship. That's the nature of the God we celebrate. He is abundantly good to his people. The king has come. In John chapter 20, we're reminded at the end of John's book, he says there were many more signs and wonders that the Lord Jesus did that we did not record in our book. But we write these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing in Him, you might have life in His name. Amen? The King has come. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, to be included, to be welcomed, though poor, to be offered generously all that you are, all that you have. Lord, would our hearts sing. Would we walk into the week ahead with a renewed mind to see how blessed we are. And Lord, as we sing, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, Lord, may we sing with joy that the King truly has come. We ask and we pray together in His name. Amen.